1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Bow your heads with me as I pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel, which we have sung and proclaimed the words of Scripture that, that offer us the encouragement that you are the God who forgives us. You are the God who rescues us. So, Lord, use us as a church. Build us up in the hope of the gospel. For the work of grace is your work. You are the God who gives growth. But, Lord, strengthen us for ministry in your church. Lord, we want the gospel to be proclaimed in our ministries. We want the gospel to take root in our hearts. Lord, for those who gather with us listening, who don't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, I pray that as your word is read and proclaimed, that it would be understood that your spirit would grant new life, that you would make the gospel grow in our hearts. Father, we come facing the sorrows and sadness and pains and turmoil of life. We come because we need you to strengthen us. We need your grace. So we come in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The CityCore Center skyscraper was built in 1977. It's recognizable on the Manhattan skyline because of its 45-degree angled tip. But its real design innovations lay at the ground level because the property on which they wanted to build this banking skyscraper was occupied by a church. The church was willing to let them build as long as they kept the church on the corner. So they were allowed to build around the church and even above the church in that airspace above, but the church had to be left on the corner. And so the architects and engineers designed a, a structure that stands on stilts, really, legs that are kind of nine stories tall. I mean, imagine a, a table, nine stories in the air with a church underneath and a skyscraper above. It was described because of the way they had to structure it and the, the design engineering and as, a, as a cutting edge, in, ingenious, innovative design. Then an undergraduate student at Princeton University did some additional calculations for an engineering project. If sustained winds hit the building at a certain angle, the building would topple over. So she called to warn the engineering firm about her concerns. But she was assured that this innovative design was safe. The building was secure. The occupants would be fine. Actually, the, the, the calculations she'd done for wind coming from this angle weren't required by building codes at the time. And, and when the, the chief engineer heard about it, 
and ran the calculations himself, he realized she was right. Now, she had let the matter go because what was she? Just, an, just a student, after all. And if she was assured by this high-powered firm that everything was be, would be fine. But the chief engineer saw the danger. And it was actually worse than they'd imagined because those kinds of winds that were needed to topple this building come through New York about every 16 years. Meaning, for every year this building stood, it had a 1 in 16 possibility of toppling over and taking buildings, other buildings, with it. So the engineers created an, an emergency evacuation plan with the NYPD in case a storm came up the coast, and they were watching a hurricane down in the, down in the, the Caribbean on its way up. And they began work immediately to reinforce the, the stress points on the building so that it would be able to withstand the winds. The welders worked through nights and weekends to fix the building. Flawed construction plans could have brought down an entire building and devastated a city. The Apostle Paul uses an architectural picture to warn the Corinthian church about the dangers of their arrogance, the dangers of, of building according to their own plans, their own designs, of doing it their way without really considering all of the risks involved. And so, so Paul here now warns the church that they have to be careful how they build. He tells them of the foundation that, that has been laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ himself. But they must be careful how they construct the church. Not the physical edifice, but the people and ministries of the church. Because one day winds will come which will reveal the integrity of our ministry, of our work, of our service. So let's follow this architectural image from the ground, from the foundation, through the construction, and then the, the test. Paul is clear about the foundation. He says in verse 11, No one can lay any, other, any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation, the starting point, the reason the church exists. And so if a church has any other reason for existing, it doesn't matter what they put on their sign on the front lawn. Just calling yourself a church doesn't make you a church. And, and sadly, there are many in our community, in our own neighborhood, that retain that historical designation but, but have long since abandoned the foundation, that no longer base their truth or, or base their ministry on the truth of the gospel that's proclaimed to us. Because the gospel of grace is the only starting point. The ministry of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the foundation. And, and remember, when Paul speaks about Jesus, he's speaking about Jesus as the, the person of God in our midst, but he's also speaking about the ministry of Jesus. Think back to that pivotal verse back in chapter 2 where Paul describes his purpose as a gospel minister. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The person of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus is the foundation. It's the foundation that, that Paul himself has laid. And it's a foundation that comes to us by God's grace. Look back at verse 10. Paul says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. All of the, the ministry of the church is by God's grace. Jesus Christ willingly dying in our place paying the penalty for our sins, giving us a gift we don't deserve. And so we have the message of salvation as a church. 
a message of salvation that we have received that's freely offered and extended to you today. A message that gives us our purpose, our foundation, our starting point. Because if we lose the gospel, then we cease to be the church. See, if you build on any other foundation, then no longer does the building deserve the designation of the church. Paul's saying, if, if, if you lay any other foundation, you no longer are considered a church. And so our mission is to proclaim the gospel of salvation, the good news that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And our mission is to apply that then in our own lives, to proclaim it to, to others. And so if we adjust the starting point, if we change that core truth, that foundation, then we've lost the designation of being a church. No matter what we leave on our sign or our letterhead, we would cease to be a church without the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now I know that as I, as I press this, it can be frustrating because we live in a culture where to say there is only one truth, well, that rubs us the wrong way. That's not the way the world works, we think. I mean, we, we live in a, in a culture that's relativistic, meaning relativism, all truths are, are equally valid. And so, so every path leads, leads to God. But here, Paul is saying your starting point matters. The foundation is Jesus. And really, relativism itself actually becomes then a, a different foundation. It becomes its own foundational belief. Ravi Zacharias is a Christian speaker, a, a Christian apologist, and he describes a, a time he was lecturing at Ohio State University years ago, and as he was crossing the campus, his, his guide pointed out a building to him, pointed out the Wexner Center for the Performing Arts. And so his guide says, this is America's first postmodern building. Now, Ravi understands postmodernism in a philosophical sense. It's that cultural expectation that there is no foundational truth, that all truths are relative. But he'd never heard this term applied to architecture. He'd, never, he'd heard philosophers or theologies called postmodern, but he'd never heard a building called postmodern. And, and so he was stunned for a moment, but then he asked, what's a postmodern building? The guide answers, well, the architect said that he designed this building with, with no design in mind. So when the architect was, was asked why, he said, well, in life, life itself is capricious, so why should our buildings have any design or any meaning? So there are in this building pillars that hold nothing up, stairs that lead nowhere. The, the tiles of the floor come at weird and strange angles. Part of the building is purposefully left to look like it is incomplete. It's this juxtaposition of, of architectural styles from across the ages, kind of mashed together in this postmodern building. So Robbie's thinking, and he asks the guy to clarify. So if life has no truth, if life has no design, then a building should have no design. Yeah, that's right. That's what this building tells us. But Robbie then asks, did he do the same thing with the foundation? See, because a postmodern building can't be thoroughly postmodern, can it? You cannot let college students walk into a building that was just haphazardly thrown up. It was purposefully designed to look incomplete, purposefully designed to mash these styles together, purposely put useless things in the building, but the foundation has to be secure before a, 
a building planner is going to let the building be occupied. You, as a student, wouldn't walk into a purely postmodern building because our foundations matter. Your starting point matters. And even in a relativistic culture, we understand that. Because we understand that, that relativism, relativism itself crumbles on its own foundation. If you say all truth is relative, then that truth is itself relative and can't be trusted. There is no foundation for a relativistic way of looking at the world. And Paul is offering us a contrast, a secure and certain foundation. Yes, one that confronts us with truth. And one that makes us uncomfortable because it's a presentation of God himself, Jesus Christ crucified. But that is the firm and the secure foundation because you can't build anything without a foundation. You can't make sense of the world without a starting point. We have the firm foundation offered to us in Jesus Christ. So Paul explains that he built a foundation. But then he then warns the Corinthian church, he warns us about how we go about construction, about what we will build. And so how should we build? Paul describes his ministry. Look again at verse 10. He says, by the grace God has given me. And so that's an important reminder again that the foundation, the starting point is grace. It's God's gift to us. Paul says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Now, that's language that would have been familiar to the Corinthians. That's just in the ordinary description you would have of the general contractor, the guy who built that temple up on the Acropolis. He was an expert builder. But when we stop and actually consider the language Paul's using, he's, he's pressing again against the Corinthians' arrogance. Because literally the word there is a wise builder. He's again drawing a contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. That's the theme we've seen in these opening chapters of 1 Corinthians. And so he's confronting them and saying, by grace, I am a wise builder. He's saying, someone who is wise then is someone who follows the Spirit of God. That's what we've seen in, in chapter, chapters 1 and 2. And so Paul says, I follow God's plan, God's design, God's purposes. And Paul, just by looking at his own life, recognizes God's grace. This was never Paul's plan. Paul wasn't a church builder. Paul was a church toppler, a church destroyer. He wanted to wipe the name of Christ from the face of the earth, and yet by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And so you and I are meant to build as those who are wise, as those who rely on the wisdom of God, who follow God's plans, who submit ourselves to God's purposes. And so then Paul, describing the foundation, continues then to, to offer us this warning at the end of verse 10. Each one should be careful how he builds. I mean, there's a seriousness and urgency to Paul's warning because Paul is saying that the work you are doing the work of gospel ministry, the work of the church. Again, not the architecture of the church, but the people of the church. The work you are doing is serious. This is, this is the, the contrast between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world, the contrast between life and death spiritually. And he's saying, you can't build the gospel, you can't build the church just any way you like it. Your purpose is not in church, your purpose is not to make yourself happy and comfortable. 
Your purpose is to build on the foundation of the gospel. Your purpose is to make the gospel central to everything you do. And so that means when you listen to a sermon, you should listen for the truth of the gospel. Have you heard the message of Jesus Christ crucified? When you join a community group and you apply the gospel to one another, are you turning back and resting in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified? When you teach children in our, in our nurseries and Sunday school classes and junior churches, are you bringing them the message back to Jesus Christ and him crucified? As we proclaim the gospel in our community, are we doing that? That has to be the, the goal, the purpose. And often, often we'd be content with something that just makes us happy and comfortable. But we're already saying this morning, Father, use my ransomed life in any way you choose. God, use me however you want to use me. And so that means we design ministries and programs and purposes. Your, your community group, yes, should be an encouragement to you, but it should sometimes be uncomfortable because you have people holding up a gospel mirror to your life and saying, this needs to change but then coming alongside you to walk with you. You, you as you plan, and so this, the, the, the greater leadership responsibilities you have here then, the greater the responsibility is on you to make sure the gospel is at the center of what you do. And it's easy for us to judge ministries based on what we like. I kind of like this. I like the music, I like the style, I like the flow, I like, I like everything. Now, why? It's easy for us to do that because, well, it's an easy comparison. You just walk in, and you make a quick judgment. Do I like this or I don't, don't I like it? It's harder to judge the, the work of gospel ministry because so much of it that takes place, you can't see. It takes place in the hearts of other people, and so it's hard to, to determine it. But also in our own selfishness, really, if we're honest, I don't really care what you think. As long as I'm happy. It doesn't matter what people around me think as long as I get out of it what I want. But Paul is confronting our selfishness. He's confronting the divisiveness of the church. Remember, this is all in the context of some people saying, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. And Paul is saying, no, there is one foundation, Jesus Christ. It is one building. Apollos and I are doing the same work. And the work is the work of the gospel. See, there are many things we could build a church on. We could pattern our programs around the, the ways in which we could reach, reach more people. And we should be strategic in how we think about how the gospel is proclaimed. You can build a church on the personality of a pastor, but those are terrible ways to build a church. Only the gospel can serve as a foundation. And so Paul is, is calling us away from our selfishness, pointing us back to the work of the gospel. It means asking the hard questions. Am I making the gospel known here? Am I applying the gospel to my own life? Is the gospel being worked out in our ministries? Because the foundation is clear. Our construction then is, is a work of gospel ministry, but, but there is coming a day when we will be tested. When this will, the, the certainty, the safety of the construction methods will be exposed and laid bare. Look at the way Paul describes it. Look at verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. 
Those are threatening, ominous, overpowering words. The day is coming. And when we hear that, we hear the the echo of the prophets of the Old Testament warning of the coming day of judgment. We hear the the words of Jesus himself describing his his return to this earth as a judge. We hear the, the repeated pattern of Scripture that there is a definitive day of judgment coming. And Paul says, on that day, like with fire, everything you have built will be tested. It will be exposed on that day. We will be tested by, by the fire of, of Jesus' judgment. So Paul says, you, you really can build with, with all kinds of materials. You could use gold and silver or costly stones. Those which will last through the fire. Or you can build with wood, hay, or straw. I mean, even your children know the difference. What kind of house should the pigs build with? Because there is a day when, when that great day of judgment, when we will hear the huffing and puffing of God's wrath. And so Paul is saying, build with those materials that are, that are non-combustible, that will last through the fire, that will survive. And it may also point us back, I think it does, to the, to the work of God in the Old Testament. Because gold and silver are costly stones. Those are the materials used to build God's temple. In the Old Testament temple, the physical building where God dwelled by his spirit, where sacrifices are offered, is a picture of the New Testament church, the people of God built together. That's what we'll see next week in verses 16 and 17, when Paul continues this imagery of the church being built up by directly calling us as a church his temple. So we're meant to use the, the valuable building materials. And that means we, we pour our lives in for the sake of the gospel. It means that when, when we're tested, our, our attitudes, our hearts will be revealed. And that's why it's hard right now to see. Is this just hay and straw glued together with, with the facade of gold, or is it really gold? Because so much of it depends on our own hearts, our own attitudes, our, our own selfishness. It's an admission that that none of us builds perfectly in the way we're meant to. That all of us sinfully even use the good things we do to to reflect glory not back to Christ but, but onto ourselves. But Paul is warning us, warning us of the coming day of judgment. It's a warning that that you need to hear this morning. I mean, Paul echoes this again in, in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, he warns each one of us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The day of judgment is coming. And if you've not placed your faith in Christ, then you cannot stand up in that day of judgment. You need the hope that is offered through Jesus Christ crucified. That's what compels us, what moves us forward as a church. Yes, there is a seriousness to this, but it's not simply a fear of us being kind of caught in the light. Like, oh, no, now you all know that it was just a sham. I mean, that's part of Paul's warning here. Build with the right materials, build in the right way. But more than that, when we think of judgment, we're reminded of the gospel, that Jesus Christ 
bore our sins. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God. And, and so when Paul continues his argument in 2 Corinthians 5, we just read about the coming day of judgment. He, he doesn't say that it's fear that motivates us or anxiety that motivates us. No, he says in verse 14, Christ's love compels us. See, when you stop and think about the coming judgment, yes, it should be a frightening warning that, that we have so many around us, perhaps even you today in our midst, who have not found salvation in Christ. But when you hear of the coming judgment, yes, you should know that it, that it brings fear and wrath, but you have been rescued. Rescued by Jesus Christ crucified, and so you're set free from sin. You're set free by the love of Christ, and so that's what compels us to serve and to build. Now, Paul here describes for us what will be brought to light, that the, the quality of our work will be tested. And look at verse 14 then, back in our chapter, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now, we, we feel the tension here because we think, well, what is Paul talking about? Isn't salvation a gift of grace? Yes. We've heard him say it over and over again. We saw it back at verse 10. It's by grace that we are rescued, that we are saved. And so how can our works, the things that we do, be, be brought into any account on that day of judgment? And this is a, this is a tension that, that, Paul, that I don't want to smooth out too much for us because I want us to feel the real warning. Yes, I want you to, I want you to have confidence that your salvation your entrance into God's kingdom on that day of judgment isn't based on the work you're doing now in the church. Entrance into heaven is based on the work of Jesus Christ. But on that day, having been granted access to God, your work, your ministry will be judged. Now, how do we, how do we know that this is still all by grace? Well, it's because the one who receives the reward and the one who suffers loss, both are granted access to God's kingdom. Look at the end of verse 15. The one who suffers loss will himself be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Yes, you will be rescued by Jesus, but everything you have done will be lost. It's the picking up that, that poetic imagery of the Old Testament prophets that you're saved by the skin of your teeth. You're saved as one who, who comes through the flames. You'll be rescued, but you have nothing left to show for it. And so what is the reward? The reward is not that because of your works you gain heaven. No, heaven is a gift given to us. Salvation is a gift given to us. That reward is that, that joyful, endearing, warm welcome of Jesus the Savior who looks at your, your service and ministry for him and says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. See, the one who whose work was all for his own purposes, all for his own glory, all, for, all in his own ways, won't hear those kind of words. He'll be welcomed, and his life gives glory to God because of God's rescue. But he knows what loss looks like because everything in his life is now lost. I mean, if you want your life to mean something, to make an impact, to matter, then it's not based on the, the things you accumulate here. It's based on the ministry you accomplish in Jesus' name. That's the only way that your life, your service, your work have enduring and lasting meaning that pass through the fires of God's judgment. It's when you've proclaimed the gospel to children at Vacation Bible School. 
It's when you've prayed and sacrificed to send missionaries to the edges of the earth. It's when you've held a crying child in a nursery so his mother can hear the gospel proclaimed. See, that's the work of ministry, the work of the gospel. When Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified are your motivating power and your message, you and I long for that reward, that welcome. We long for our lives to have purpose and meaning. The only way to do so is if we build on the foundation of Christ. If we proclaim the gospel, if we build for his glory, by proclaiming the message, then we will receive the reward of God's blessing. So you and I, as the church, we have the message of Jesus Christ crucified. We have a message of life and hope and rescue to share with the world. The City Corps Center skyscraper was fixed in secret. Even the occupants of the building had no idea the danger they were in. See, the welders came in at night. And because of the, the unique structure of the building, the supporting braces that needed to be welded together ran through the workspace of the building. So thankfully, they were easily accessible. But it also meant that it could be done in secret without warning anyone. Now, yes, remember, the, the, the NYPD had an evacuation plan. They were watching the weather, watching a hurricane come up the coast. And they would have had to evacuate a 10-block radius if the storm had hit. And actually, the newspapers had caught wind of this, but the phone call was never returned because all of New York's newspapers went on strike. So a giant mistake, able to be fixed in secret. Actually, that engineering student had no idea. It wasn't until years later, almost two decades later, that the, the New Yorker finally ran a story about this near crisis that the city didn't even know about. They went back and interviewed the original lead architect and, and described the plan and the chaos that, that went through of, of coming up with a plan like this. And then a, a documentary about the crisis aired on TV. You know, one of those documentaries that shows you the models of buildings toppling over and the voiceover of how dangerous it was? One of the people who watched that was Diane Hartley, that former engineering student, now well into her career. See, she had no idea that her calculations were right. She had no idea that anyone had actually listened to her. She had no idea that changes, that action, had been taken on, on her warning. She says it was only after seeing the documentary that she began to learn about the impact that her little undergraduate thesis had had on saving a city. Only then did she have any sense of reward for her work. A life-saving message whose full impact wasn't revealed for decades. See, that's what your ministry in the church could look like. You will never know, you may never know until that day, what your work has accomplished. The lives changed by the hope of the gospel. The people that pass through your life who you've impacted. The ways in which the, the money you have sacrificed has been used to build churches around the world. See, the church's mission is to proclaim the gospel, but, but we won't know fully what that work looks like until that day when it's finally revealed, that great day of judgment. You and I, as the church, we have a precious Savior. 
Our firm foundation is Jesus Christ. And so we must be careful how we build. Father in heaven, we thank you for the work you've done in us. Lord, we thank you for the work you've done in this church. Lord, we think of the ways in which those in previous generations gave and served and loved and proclaimed the gospel. Lord, they continue to bear fruit in our midst, both here in our own community and around the world. Lord, I pray that you would bring gospel hope to each one of us. Lord, that those who might sit and listen but have not trusted Jesus as Savior, that even now as we pray, even as the service concludes, that now they would turn and find rescue in Jesus Christ, our firm foundation. Lord, for us as a church, make the gospel central to what we do. Make it the pivotal point of our preaching and teaching. Make it the the central hub of our relationships and our ministries. Lord, let us rest in the grace that we've received. Empower us by your Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Lord, remove the tensions, the, the divisions within the church so that Jesus Christ would receive glory. Lord, do that work in us. We come praying in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.